Welcome to the Cell Culture Dish Podcast, enabling vaccine manufacturing and viral vector production using the iCellus, a single-use, automated, and closed manufacturing platform. I'm Brandi Sargent, editor of the Cell Culture Dish. For our panel discussion today, I am pleased to be joined by Dr. Hannah Lesh, Research and Development Director at FinVector Vision Therapies, Dr. Jose Castillo, Co-Founder and CTO of Universals, Mario Phillips, Vice President and General Manager, Single-Use Technologies, Paul Life Sciences, and Fabian Monkebeg, Head of EMEA Bioprocess Services, Paul Life Sciences. Welcome, everyone. I'd like to start the discussion by looking back at where we have been in terms of vaccine and viral vector manufacturing, the evolution to today's practices, and where do we see the technology moving in the future. Fabian, I'd like to ask you if you could give us a historical perspective and overview of current manufacturing practices for vaccines and gene therapy. So actually, the uh, protocols which are used for vaccine manufacturing or viral uh, vector manufacturing are pretty close when you look at the uh, historical processes. So the vaccine manufacturing has a bit more history um, and has decades of process development behind it. And uh, the two manufacturing protocols, whether it is for vaccines or uh, viral vectors, are most of them using adherent cell lines. In which case, for the adherent cell lines, the devices used for the cell culture and the amplification of viruses have historically been um, cell factories or roller bottles, and both technologies are actually flatwares. So they are made of plastic, and the cells would attach to the plastic. And in order to multiply the surface available to the cells, you multiply the number of units. So whether it's roller bottle or what we call cell factories, which are actually uh, multi-tray systems, you simply multiply them and multiply the number of incubators that hold those systems. So what happens is that when you need to scale up with these systems, you actually have limitations that you will face in terms of uh, footprint first, because you multiply the number of incubators, laminar flow hood, because most of these systems are using open operations under the laminar flow hoods. And then you also need to proportionally increase your number of uh, FTE, so the, the number of operators. The other limitations uh, comes at the cost, obviously, of the capital expenditures because you need to invest in new facilities. And this has, a, a, I would say, a barrier to the investment. And those systems are using an approach of what we call scaling out, which is sort of the opposite from the engineering point of view of scaling up, which means that you have little gain when you actually scale up because your price doesn't really decrease a lot given the fact that you actually multiply linearly and proportionally all your systems. So those are the most common systems and they are actually used by anyone who is starting up uh, from scratch, whether it's a hospital or university. So the isolates can definitely bring an answer to those approaches because the adherent cells can be put in the fixed bed and in which case you have a scale-up strategy rather than scale-out. The other uh, platform, which I really want to uh, also mention because it is quite popular in the vaccine uh, manufacturing, in the companies that had the luxury, if I can say, to spend some time in process development and some of them uh, put decades to uh, achieve that goal, is the microcarrier. So for adherent cells, the other approach in order to scale up and increase your capacity of production is to use uh, microcarriers which are put in suspension. So these microbeads actually support cell growth and the, ad, uh, the attachment of the cells occurs on those surfaces. And then the beads develop a higher surface per volume 
And you can have a 500 or 1,000 liter bi-rector that holds the bead uh, in suspension that can lead to really high amount of square centimeter. So this depends on the type of carriers you use. And one of the challenges uh, of this technology is that you actually need a lot of process development expertise, but also a lot of time before you get to large scales. So I'm talking about 200, 500, maybe 1,000 liter scale using those microcarrier approach. And so this is for the adherent cell lines. Um, and I would say that the vast majority of vaccines today are manufactured with adherent cells, uh, cell lines. And regarding the viral vectors, uh, there are now a few initiatives using um, suspension cell lines, but most of them are still using adherent or encourage dependent cells. Thank you, Fabian, for that introduction to our discussion. Since we are fortunate enough to have the inventor of iCells technology on the panel, Jose, I'd love to hear about what led you to develop the iCells. So actually, all the initial thoughts popped up when I was actually facing lots of issues developing processes with GSK vaccines. As you may know, lots of vaccines are still produced with roller bottles using adherent cells. Uh, for some other vaccines, uh, we use uh, uh, microcarriers, again, with adherent cells in a very large uh, stainless steel bioreactors. And so actually, I was really obsessed about scaling up, uh, about process development. And so my, uh, my obsession over the years became to substitute scaling up, so the, the, the traditional scaling up, by a process intensification. So increasing uh, cell densities in such a way that scaling up wouldn't be actually needed. And this is when I left GSK, um, the, uh, this is actually the inception of, uh, of the iSelis bioreactor. You're in a really unique position um, because now you're a current user of the technology you invented. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts as a current user and from that perspective? And then also, um, what role does the technology play uh, at Universal specifically? So that's a great question. So obviously the technology is great, as you can imagine. But now let's go to the real answer. So I think that, you know, that I am a user indeed, I start behaving like a customer, you know, like one of my former customers. Right, which is different. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it it's is. different than, than being the inventor. Yeah, it, is, it is absolutely different because now I'm facing actually the, uh, the type of issue that my former customers used to face. And uh, I think that one of the great decisions I think we made in the past as a small company is to be, to be acquired by a larger company. So I think that, you know, we were a very small company uh, called Artelis um, that was uh, actually uh, incorporated in, in Brussels, the city uh, I live. And then ATMI Life Sciences became an investor. ATMI Life Sciences acquired our company. And then Paul, uh, Paul decided to acquire ATMI Life Sciences. And I think that that is absolutely necessary for a, a new technology to become adopted on the market. And so today, as a customer, what I can see is that now I have in front of me, I would say a serious large company from which supply chain can be guaranteed a company in which there is a, a quality assurance department where uh, there is a, a strong customer support department. And I, I, and I think obviously you always face issues. This is a single-use technology. It's quite a complex piece of technology, but uh, actually for me, what's, what makes the difference between success or failure 
in technology adoption is at the end that the technology has to be manufactured and supplied by an established large uh, company like Paul today. Just to follow on to Jose's point about the importance of the support of a large company, in this case Paul, to really help drive adoption, I wanted to provide a little background. In December 2013, ATMI Life Sciences was acquired by Paul Life Sciences. Mario, I'd like to ask you how the Icellus fits into Paul's overall product portfolio. Yeah, the fit of Icellus to Paul's single-use strategy is twofold. First of all, Paul's strategy with implementing single-use technology in bioprocess manufacturing is to help enabling the customers to drive uh, costs down. Uh, this could be, on the one hand, uh, reduction of capital, where Icellus brings a huge benefit. You know, you get a lot of reduction of footprint. You don't need to invest in large stainless steel uh, piping for clean in place, steam in place. And then the, the second area uh, where Icelis technology brings value is in the overall operational cost, as you have now, uh, you know, an automated closed system versus flatware uh, being an open system and also a very manual operation. So from that perspective, Icelis is probably the, the highest value proposition we have in our single-use portfolio, so quite strategic. The second reason why Icelis is such a good fit to all single-use uh, strategy is, is that over the last year and a half, we have been involving at Paul, and so does the market, from supplying systems into more supplying uh, solutions. And so for our vaccine and gene therapy customers, we can not only supply them the Icellus bioreactor technology, but also all of the other upstream needs around it for media preparation, buffer preparation in a single-use format. And then really also downstream, as Paul, we have a, a broad portfolio of filtration, uh, membrane, chromatography, and other technologies. So really, Icellus, we see it at Paul more as a platform strategy, not just a, a bioreactor strategy. Thank you, Mario. Switching gears a bit, I'd like to focus on the implementation of the technology. Fabian, you are in a perfect position to share with us some examples of customer experiences and questions that come up during implementation. If you don't mind, I'd like to run through a few questions that we thought potential customers might have. Many companies are interested in moving their processes from adherent to suspension culture in an effort to achieve these higher production levels. What are the pros and cons of moving to suspension, do you think? And when would you recommend a customer stay in Icellus? That's the question that we get often in our company because we have a portfolio which offers both options, which enable us to be a bit neutral on the choice and keep our scientific uh, neutrality. But when we come down to helping and coaching the customer to make the right choice, we ask more questions. And these questions are, how much do you need to produce? When? And what is your current process? And based on these answers, then you can start to decide what is the best approach for you. And um, you're going to probably have some sort of dual approach. One, which is I need to address a short-term need. For example, if someone needs to generate some material, let's say 12 months, 
and their current process is in adherence, then you, you don't have time to develop a new platform in suspension and scale it up. You probably want to go for the fastest track, uh, which will be an adherent process. And hopefully you can put it in the ICDs and produce the quantity you need for the phase two with this adherent approach in a fixed bed. Now, if you look at the long term, and these companies um, are looking at it early because that's how they uh, get funded for the clinical trials. You need to look at a final process, which ultimately would be the one that will give the lowest cost of goods to be able to commercialize a therapy at the lowest cost possible and get a, a good reimbursement strategy. But also you need to be able to address the demand from the market. So the capacity has to be high enough. So when you combine these two aspects, that's when you have to make a choice. You have a choice to make for the short term, and oftentimes that's where the ICDs is the most suited technology to be able to answer the demands in, I would say, pilot scale uh, production. But when it comes to developing a suspension process, you're going to have some process development which is involved and which will take time before you get a good producer at the scale that you are targeting. So. Once you take all these aspects into account, um, you can start drafting a, a long and short-term plan. Of course, as you get a process optimized, people are always going to be looking to increase production levels. What approaches can be used to increase production levels in iCells? For instance, could you run multiple iCells bioreactors and then pool for downstream processing? So the, obviously the, the most intuitive option is to increase the scale. Um, and you can increase the scale by either increasing the size of your device, of your bioreactor, or you, you can increase the scale by multiplying, as you said, the number of bioreactors, and then you pull them into one downstream process, which is definitely an option that has been chosen by some customers. Now, if you ask me for the next five years, if I had to recommend an approach, it would be to try to maximize the productivity of your process. And you can take it uh, from different aspects. One is the media optimization, and you can try to optimize the composition of these media to maximize the productivity of your cells. But I think the most uh, promising one is the cell line engineering. So the cell line selection and screening which today is done mostly in suspension and sometimes in adherence. But if you were to select a current cell line based on their productivity in adherence, you may end up with a process which is extremely efficient because when you have an immobilized cell line in a fixed bed, your operations become extremely lean. So overall, your cost of goods could be dramatically reduced. And I think today uh, we have some examples with uh, platforms which have been developed for true cells. There are capacities to develop new cell lines for an optimized productivity. So it's just a matter of having one or two key players that um, put in place a high throughput screening method to develop highly productive cell lines for the specific needs that they have. Um, and I'm, I'm focusing here mostly on the gene therapy applications where this hasn't been done. Um, but when you look at the true cell market, uh, which is focusing on antibodies, this has been done, and now the productivity has been multiplied by 10 almost every decade. So there is engineering firms, um, if I can call them this way. There are some bioprocess experts that have been doing this job for true cells, and I think the future is going to be to optimize the current processes for uh, viral vectors by optimizing the, the cell lines, for example. Yes, I think that makes a lot of sense. 
I actually just a couple weeks ago attended a full conference on cell line development, and there are some really interesting new technologies for engineering cell lines. And so it does, to me, make sense to do that for adherent cells, just like we have been doing with CHO cells. And if I can just add something, what is interesting is that um, today people are focusing on suspension cell line, but when they develop suspension cell line, they start from adherent cell line. So the reason why they have been doing that in the past and the reason why suspension has been such an option which is preferred by the market is because the at that time there was no platform that was enabling large scale use of adherent cell lines um and it's been only a couple of years that ICLIS is there and it's still um I, I would say a young technology but now it enable larger scale of adherent approach and this way now we can skip one step which is adapt the cells from adherence to suspension, and we can go just directly from adherence to screening cell lines based on their productivity and engineering cell lines, as you said, by knocking out some genes, for example. And from there, we can directly put them into adherent platforms like fixed bed by rectals. So I think it, we, we have to just make sure that the uh, industry is aware of this new parameter in the equation, if I can say. It seems like the acellus is, is able to be used in several different applications, as you've mentioned. What are some of the most common customer requests or needs for iCellus? What are some of the most common applications that you're seeing? So in terms of markets, the the current uh, high demand is from the gene therapy market. Um, And if I I give um, more insight on what do they ask us, the answer is quick and easy. So that, that, these are the two keywords they ask us. They wanted to go really fast to produce a high number of viral vectors, and they need to do that in the next 12 to 18 months to go for the next clinical trial. And no other technology on the market enable them to do it in this time frame with the quantity of virus they ask for because they have no time to develop a new platform and the cost uh, with the traditional flatware is prohibitive. So this is the most, I would say, the highest demand we have from the market is for viral vectors. Um, Then, of course, we have some demand from vaccine manufacturer um, and any sort of virus manufacturer which use current adherent uh, cell platforms. And then slowly starts to appear the conservative market of the antibody manufacturing. Thank you, Fabian. I'd like to follow up on one area that you touched on, which is gene therapy. It's a very hot topic right now, and we have Hanna Lesh, Research and Development Director at FinVector Vision Therapies, on the panel. Hanna, it seems like a great time to ask you about your experiences using the iCellus for viral vector production. Could you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing at FinVector? I am a research and development director in FinVector, and my responsibility is uh, early step process development uh, and vector development. In our department, we also have cell therapy programs ongoing. We've talked a little bit about the iCellus and the invention of the technology and also the uh, implementation of the technology, but I'm interested from the customer side. Uh, FinVector was an early adopter of the iCellus technology. What was it about the iCellus technology that made you look at it as worth the risk of being an early adopter? Uh, Well, it was already some time ago when we were looking for uh, commercial scale disposable advent systems. Um, So fixed bed bioreactor was giving one solution and so we got interested in iCellus. 
Um, then we made early feasibility runs in nanoscale and they were showing pretty promising results. So we continued to process development and later then to, to manufacturing. Uh, but over the years, our company has been pioneer in the field in many ways. So we don't have any, we do not have any fear uh, as long as we believe in what we are doing and, and we have believed in iCellis. What was your experience in adopting the technology? At the beginning, uh, we made feasibility runs and compared the virus productivity in Flask versus iCellis Nano. Uh, it was important to observe similar productivity in both of these systems. Uh, Paul was then giving technical support to us and, of course, uh, training during the very first runs. Uh, so overall, the adoption period was a positive experience. FinVector is planning to use material made in the iCellis 500 for Phase 3 clinical trials and then eventually for commercial supply. Uh, what has been your experience with process development and scale-up using the iCellis? Um, after the feasibility runs, we started the actual process development, and the goal was to simplify and improve the process. Uh, many parameters, such as cell seeding, cell growth, weeding strategies, infections, harvest, uh, were optimized. Um, we also paid a lot of attention to cell expansion stage uh, because cell mass required for the inoculation can be huge and the work can be very laborious. So um, we can grow our cells in adherent mode and in suspension mode, but higher productivity is achieved in adherent mode. Uh, this gave us also a possibility to, to expand the cell mass in suspension. Uh, in cultipac bioreactor and inoculating cells directly from uh, the cultipac into the iCellis 500. So nowadays in our current GMP process, we are utilizing the suspension expansion step. Also the scaling up into iCellis 500 was pretty straightforward without any major problems. Uh, we made few large scale development runs and then uh, transferred the equipment into GMP facility for engineering run and clinical manufacturing. The GMP process has been very consistent, uh, which is uh, proving that the system is reliable and this is also important uh, for process validation. I think the question that everybody always wants to ask with the new technology in terms of making clinical material as well as commercial material is what has been the reaction of the regulatory authorities um, about using the iCells for manufacturing? Uh, so far, uh, we have discussed uh, with FDA, and FDA has been satisfied with the process. So from regulatory point of view, there has been no issues. Do you have recommendations for other companies that are considering the iCellis technology? Um, I can recommend iCellis technology for other users because it really gives us an opportunity to scale up adherent system in practical and disposable manner. One positive finding was that when uh, you drain the product out from the bioreactor, after lysis, most of the cell debris is left in the fixed bed. So the material coming to clarification step is uh, already clear, like it has been pre-filtered. Um, but the um, challenge is that you cannot get cells out from the bioreactor, so you cannot count or visualize your producer cells. And especially this is a challenge in a large scale. And this means that you just need to understand your process very well and rely on those parameters which can be measured so, uh, such as metabolic markers.
You mentioned that you use the Icellus bioreactor for adenovirus processes. Do you have plans for other viral vectors uh, using the Icellus bioreactor as well? Yes, we have two active process development projects. One is for Lenti and one is for AAD. And our aim is that in the near future, we can provide large-scale GMP manufacturing of uh, Lenti and AAV using ICLS 500 technology. Thank you, Hannah. Switching topics again, I'd like to close our discussion with some recommendations for those who are thinking that they may want to implement ICLS in their manufacturing process. Mario, could you share with us any recommendations you have for companies considering implementing a new process in ICELIS? First of all, uh, it's very important to do all of the hard work from a process development perspective at the lab bench. So using our what we call small-scale uh, nano uh, ICELIS technology, relatively uh, easy-to-use uh, systems, uh, quite standardized, only one type of consumable and really develop a very robust scientific process at the small scale. And when that is really done, then move it into large-scale ICELIS and large-scale manufacturing. And then the other thing uh, I would definitely uh, recommend users of the ICELIS, uh, really go through the value proposition of the technology, you know, in, in a sense of the savings it can bring from a capital perspective, the savings it can bring from an operational perspective. Because while scientists might be really convinced, and a lot are, about this technology, they might run into the barrier of uh, adapting new technologies in our industry. While we are a very innovative industry, we are also, on the one hand, which is understandable, relatively conservative when it comes to changing and, and, and trying to be into you know, new areas. Um, and, and this is clearly, you know, uh, uh, one of the, the challenges uh, with the ICELIS technology and why it took a while to take off is we're fundamentally changing how the industry has grown cells. It's a very different approach for adherent. And so, you know, there is some time to, to adapt uh, to this. But clearly with uh, over 100 customers now actively um, in process development, uh, we, we are um, kind of behind that uh, early adoption curve. How does the iCells compare to and integrate with today's manufacturing trend? Yeah, um, I, I would even maybe answer it a little bit broader and say, you know, the overall industry trends, but also challenges uh, that we're facing. Number one challenge that, you know, uh, everyone is challenging, uh, challenged with is reduction of costs and, and spending of capital. You know, uh, everywhere on the globe, um, you know, uh, in Europe and U.S. mainly, there is a lot of pressure on the healthcare systems. And then in the emerging countries, we try to bring um, medication to people who didn't have access before. So cost matters uh, in our industry. And I think ICELIS is addressing that very well with a huge reduction of capital investment um, with, you know, all of the operational efficiencies uh, that it brings. The second trend that is very important, and it has always been there, but it's just an ongoing thing, is safety. And if you look at the alternative uh, technologies as they were developed for R&D, whether they're cell stacks or uh, roller bottles, they are very manual and they're an open system. So it needs uh, interaction of an individual, an operator, uh, a lot of aseptic handling, which brings a risk for contamination. This uh, ICELIS technology is vertically integrated. It's a complete closed system. 
So it really addresses uh, higher safety and elimination of risk of cross-contamination uh, very well. And the third thing our industry, you know, is continuously looking for is kind of, you know, uh, um, uh, time to market. And, you know, if you look at uh, the alternatives, uh, build um, kind of a, you know, a stainless steel factory with bioreactors and, you know, microcarriers, um, it, it could take you a couple of years before it's up and running. Um, the same when you have to go and build, you know, huge amounts of incubator rooms uh, to put cell stacks and roller bottles in. In, in essence, iCellus, you can run in, in a downgraded clean room. It's a closed system. And you could probably take out, um, you know, half of the time to market by going with this type of technology. So I would say addressing in a summary costs, addressing safety and addressing uh, speed to market. Thank you to our panel today. I really appreciated the discussion and learning about the Icelis as a platform for vaccine and viral vector manufacturing. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Cell Culture Dish podcast. To learn more about this and other stem cell and biomanufacturing related topics, please visit www.cellculturedish.com.